Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Well, it's not every day that we have an opportunity to really shape the law protecting religious freedom. Uh, and I'm very happy to be a participant in a case uh, that our guest argued before the Tenth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals recently, a case that really will make a difference in, in shaping the law for the good, I hope. Uh, and uh, I'd like to welcome back to Freedom's Ring my friend and colleague, attorney Gene Shear. Gene, I think it's been a long time since you've been on this show. It's been a couple of years, but it's a pleasure to be back. I think one time we did a show when you were in Tokyo, if I recall, long time ago. I think that's right. I think that's true. Been doing this for, this is our 19th year. So, wow. Uh, we have this, uh, this Sabbath discrimination case against Kellogg's. Why don't you, uh, first of all, just set up the, uh, the simple factual story for us, and then we'll talk about the legal issues that are at stake. Okay, well, first let me mention uh, for your audience, since you're too modest to mention it, that you actually have played a key role in this case, uh, representing the two plaintiffs, uh, not only on appeal, but uh, but in the lower courts as well. And it's a case involving two Adventists who unfortunately were fired uh, by the Kellogg Company uh, in Utah. Kellogg used to own a plant in Utah that created um, frozen um, vegetable burgers. Morningstar Farms, Garden Burgers. Yeah. Garden Burgers, that's right. And, you know, uh, we want to boycott them because of this case, but we can't bring ourselves to doing it because we like their, especially their sausage. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. And their cereal, right? Um, but anyway, these two folks worked at the Kellogg plant. Um, they had told their superiors uh, for years that they needed to have Saturdays off in order to comply with what they view as, uh, as God's command not to work on the Sabbath. Um, and instead of coming up with an arrangement that was reasonably certain uh, to give them Saturdays off, uh, the employer, Kellogg, said, well, there are a couple of things we'll do for you, but, uh, uh, you know, but it's up to you totally to to determine whether these uh, whether these accommodations work, they told them they could use vacation and and other leave time um, in order to take Saturdays off if they wanted. The problem with that is that they only had enough vacation and leave time to cover about half of the Saturdays that they would need to get off during the year. And then they said, well, if that's not enough, you can work out swaps with other employees. And unfortunately, uh, although they were able to swap successfully a couple of times. Um, Unfortunately, they, despite their best efforts, they just couldn't find enough other workers at the plant who were willing and able to swap with them so that they could get their Saturdays off. And essentially, the company just said, well, you know, that's too bad. We've done all that we were reasonably required to do, um, even though we didn't really eliminate the conflict between our work requirements and your uh, religious requirements. You know, we, we think we've done enough. And uh, and so that uh, that case is now before the uh, before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit in Denver. Well, and I think the you know the the underlying issue here that's so critical is what does an employer have to do when faced with a conflict between uh, their 
job needs and uh, the religious observance of, of their employees. Sure. Do they actually have to do something, or can they just sit back and say, well, if you can adjust your schedule, great, and if not, too bad, so sad. Right, and you're right. That's that's what the employer did here. Um, the uh, the law around the country, uh, the, the different courts around the country, are divided on the answer to your question, as you know. Uh, there are some areas of the country where the federal courts, the circuit courts that uh, that govern the law in these various parts of the country, uh, have said that an employer has a duty to completely eliminate the conflict. Uh, but there are other parts of the country where the where the federal circuit courts have said um, there's no elimination requirement. All the employer is required to do is make efforts that a court might view as reasonable under the circumstances. Um, and reasonableness, these courts say, doesn't require a, a full elimination of the conflict. And so there is a there's a disagreement among the various federal circuit courts uh, around the country on that question. And depending on how this decision goes, um, we might be asking the U.S. Supreme Court to resolve that conflict and uh, and create a nationwide rule on that subject. Well, and I think, Gene, that part of the problem is that um, people don't, judges are not really understanding uh, the English language, what the word accommodation means, as I think you set forth so so well in in our brief that uh, when Congress says that employers have a duty to provide reasonable accommodation, they're not saying, oh well, if you if somebody's scheduled to work Saturdays, it's reasonable that uh, they get off one or two Saturdays a month in order to go to church. They, you know, that's not what the word accommodation means, is it? That's right. the The word accommodation, when you look at a dictionary. Uh, the word accommodation actually means a reconciliation uh, between two competing ideas or two competing values or, or needs. And, uh, and unless an employer has found a way to really reconcile its own uh, work requirements with the uh, religious needs of the employee, there really isn't an accommodation at all. Um, so, of course, under the right. Go ahead. I mean, I know we were struggling with illustrations for the court on this from the disability arena, but you know, it's kind of like, oh well, okay, if you're in a wheelchair, we'll um, we'll let you use the ramp half the time. The other half the time, you're gonna have to have somebody, uh, you know, uh, help you up the stairs and carry your wheelchair for you, right? <laughs> right. Or the employer, to to use a similar analogy, they they might give you a key. To an old rusty lift that only works half the time. I see. And uh, you know, even though there's a nice new ramp that uh, that if they would just unlock another door, you could uh, you could easily use and, and meet your own needs. But instead, they just give you a key to this old rusty lift that's only gonna only gonna work for you about half the time. And they say, you know, that's that's all we got to do. Now, you know, lest our listeners think this is just about you know Sabbatarians who go to church on Saturday. Um, I will tell you, I have represented Christians of different faiths uh, who don't work on Sundays. Sure. Uh, I have also represented those with um, dress and appearance issues. One of my current clients is a Messianic believer who uh, wears a beard as religious expression. So mm -hmm. when I say Messianic, he, he's a believer in Jesus. He's a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and there are several religions that uh, that do wear beards. But these issues of accommodation affect people of every single religion. Maybe 
you know, maybe you want to wear a cross around your neck if you're um, a Christian. Right. Uh, and the employer has uh, a dim view of any sort of religious expression. Um, so it can affect really anybody. Don't think this is just some oddball or minority religion and, and, and you don't need to care about it. Um, it's really about equal employment opportunity for people of every faith, isn't it, Gene? Yeah, I agree. It's, I would say a fairly high percentage of religious believers at least have a potential for a conflict with their employers over uh, their ability to carry out their religious beliefs at the at the workplace. Well, you know, I, I have a, a current client who uh, is a leader of a youth ministry at a church, an evangelical church, on Wednesday evenings. And he has a conflict with his schedule over Wednesdays. And he's really, he's thinking he may get fired this week because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tragic. You know, and how many of us are involved in church services or ministries that, you know, require a regular attendance? And, you know, we don't want to uh, to compromise on our faith commitments um, because of our work obligations. Absolutely. And and usually the tragedy is that usually it's relatively easy for the employers, if they're willing and, and willing to and want to, it's relatively easy for them to accommodate the needs of their employees. And in fact, the law says uh, that if there would be a substantial burden um, on the employer, uh, then then they're not required to accommodate. Uh but, but the reality is that in most cases, an employer who really wants to accommodate the religious needs of their employees um, can do it at minimal cost and inconvenience. You know, I need to jump in here, Gene, because I've been doing these accommodation cases for 25 years. And what I have found is that employers sometimes are the last people to know that they really can accommodate. Right. And I'm sure that among our listeners are folks who work in management, folks who own uh, small businesses or medium-sized businesses, and who are scratching their heads thinking, well, I don't want to have to worry about having to accommodate somebody. But in my experience, it's an awful lot easier than people imagine. And if they would just give it a try, um, and, you know, and as you said, if by making the effort, they find that it really doesn't work, then they're likely to have a good undue hardship defense because they've tried it first and it really isn't working for them and they can explain why it's not working and how it's negatively impacting the business. Exactly. And one of the, you know, one of the tragedies of this case that you, you and I are discussing, the Tabora case, uh, is that the law, the, um, employers seem to be laboring under a misunderstanding of what the law requires him to do. Um, the, the employer's main rationale for the accommodations that they offered was that they needed to be religiously neutral. Uh, they were under a misimpression uh, that the law doesn't even allow them to treat religious needs in a way that uh, in a way that's more sensitive or more accommodating than other kinds of needs that might arise in the workplace. And, and I'm not sure where the employer in this particular case got that idea, um, you know, but, but there are forces in society that are basically telling businesses as well as government, you know, you can't give religion preferential treatment in any way. Well, uh, but in fact, mm-hmm. the law says, as you know, the law that we're discussing here, the religious accommodation requirement in Title VII, the law actually does give religion preferential treatment. 
uh, and requires employers to give religion preferential treatment where where necessary to accommodate the the needs of an employee's faith. Well, Gene, as you well know, because you filed uh, wrote the brief for the Adventist Church and I think some others in the recent Supreme Court case, the EEOC Abercrombie case, where right. uh, Scalia's opinion specifically said that religion-neutral employment policies don't cut it. Exactly. That, in fact, Title VII requires that uh, religious accommodation requests be given special treatment. Absolutely. Um, you know, honestly, I think where that neutrality argument came from is not the employer, but their lawyers after the fact. We often face these, uh, you know, arguments created by the lawyers afterwards uh, to back up what the employers did without thinking or caring about it. Sure, and that's possible. But there are groups in society who are going around making those kinds of arguments as well. Uh, well, sure. I mean... There is a positive form of neutrality and a negative form of neutrality. Uh, I don't think we want the government deciding that, you know, somebody's set of beliefs is better than somebody else's and trying to favor those. Absolutely. So, you know, in that sense, yeah. we've done a lot of shows today about the tendency of the law uh, to favor sexual liberty over religious liberty. Mm -hmm. And we don't think that's fair. Right. But um, here... We do think much less consistent with the Constitution. Absolutely, but here neutrality works against the employee who has special, who needs special consideration or accommodation. Right, but it well, shouldn't. So, I'm I'm going to close off here. Our guest today has been attorney and appellate expert uh, Gene Shear. We've been talking about a, a religious accommodation case, Deborah against Kellogg's a uh, well-known company in the Tenth Circuit out of Denver. Gene, thanks so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring. My pleasure, Alan. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>